0: 1 Samuel chapter number 15, beginning at the 18th verse, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse number 18, and the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? Verse 20 says, And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and I have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took up the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed. They took those things for this purpose, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, verse 22, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken, To hearken unto the voice and the direction of the Lord is better than the bringing of the fat of rams. Verse 23, I'll stop my reading here. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord he hath also rejected thee from being king. I don't know about you, but I feel such a witness of his spirit in this room even right now. I want to be accepted of the Lord. I want to be receptive of his word and acceptable in his sight. Next to that dark character numbered among the twelve. Closest to Christ, Judas Iscariot, we know his name to be. Next to him, there is no tragic figure in all of Scripture, more tragic than this man of which we read today, this king of Israel, named Saul, no man has ever gotten off to a better start. and Tragically, no man has ever had such a sadder finish. Saul was a tall man with a striking appearance, gifted in the areas of leadership. His reputation all throughout Israel was that of, of courage And generosity. Samuel said in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 2, There was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. Therefore, it was at the cry of the people of Israel, Give us a king. At that request, at that admonition on their part, it was no surprise that the son of Kish from the tribe of Benjamin would be the chosen vessel, and this man would become the first anointed king of Israel. And when Samuel laid eyes upon Saul in the city, of Ramah the Lord said unto him, Behold the man whom I spake to thee of this same shall reign over my people. And there in that tenth chapter of first Samuel, and in that first verse. We read Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head, saying, The Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. For God is with thee and it was so verse number 9 said that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel God gave him another heart and all those signs came to pass that day something uh, transpired in that moment something Turned over quite literally in the heart of this man who had been anointed and tasked with leading the people of God. God gave him another heart. Yet, while much could be said and much could be here today, I must tell you that there is more to this man named Saul than what we can gather here from our first impression of his first few days under the crown of king. First impressions of a person can be deceiving, especially when their appearance is contradicted by their qualities and abilities. Because when we consider Saul, Saul embodied the ideal visual image of a king, but his character flaws often contradict God's commands for the king. Certainly Saul had his good moments and mastered a good many of situations. But here's the tragedy of Saul's life. Though God had anointed him, and God at that moment of anointing put a new heart in him, Saul never mastered himself. He never mastered himself. And so we read uh, his days ended in the weird and wicked setting uh, of a spiritual seance followed by the taking of his own life at Gilboa can't preach the entire life of Saul today, but throughout his his life and kingly career from Gilgal to Gilboa, various moments of scripture reveal to us the true nature of this flawed character. We we could take some time today. I'm not going to do so, but we could take the time to speak of his, his impatience that surfaced when and unwilling to wait for Samuel, Saul violated the law and offered a sacrifice unto God himself. And then to make it worse, rather than repenting and asking forgiveness, it man, Saul pridefully attempted to explain away his actions, not just not, not doing the simple thing and humbling himself and confessing his wrongs, but he stands by his action and defends what he has done. He often displays a violent temper toward Jonathan and oh, the many moments of jealousy toward David that could be rehearsed today. Uh, Throughout those many years where, where Saul quite literally hunted David down uh, uh, like like a dog uh, oh the the jealousy that welled up in his soul and and got the of him on so many occasions. And while there are many stories that could be told today, many moments of his life I could take you to, and much preaching could be done this afternoon, suffice to say the episode that truly reveals the heart of Saul's trouble is found here in this 15th chapter. uh, of the book of 1 Samuel where we read uh, of the slaughtering uh, of the Amalekites. In the first verse of that chapter, Samuel says unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee. You are the anointed, God-appointed king of his people. You reign over all Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. What? What a change. Oh, how Saul's life could have been altered in so drastically. Different, if he could have just grasped a hold of what the prophet was saying in this moment. Yes, you've been given power. Yes, you have been placed on a throne and a crown has been placed on your head. But listen to the words of direction that God will speak to you. Yeah, you're king, Saul, but you need to understand that you're not the one in charge. Hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Saul, you need to understand that in every decision, in every action, with every adversary that you face, in every scenario in which you find yourself, your first obligation should be to hear and to hearken to the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord. Can I slip this in for about 20 seconds here? I don't want to preach all afternoon. man. But that ought to be our foremost concern in life. That ought to be our one intention. Not that we get a certain amount of money in the bank. Not that we attain some certain spiritual or, or even cultural status. Our one desire. Our foremost motivation ought to be that above and before anything else, I need to hear what the Spirit is saying. I need to have an ear that is tuned that I might hear the voice of God. If, you, if somebody would leave this service today having made that intention, hey amen, it would set the trajectory for your life forever to hear the voice of the Lord. But as all of us so, so evidently understand, that the hearing of and the hearkening of that voice becomes such a challenge because there are so many other voices. The Lord says, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel how he laid wait for him in the way. I'm, I'm just preaching now right through these verses in 1 Samuel chapter 15. I remember how Amalek, what he did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came to from Egypt. Now, here's what I want you to do, Saul. Here is the word of the Lord. Here is what the voice of God is saying. Go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that have. Here's the directive. Slay them all and don't leave anything alive. Don't spare anyone or anything. Slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and donkey, everything that they have, all that they are, go smite and kill. Saul smote the Amalekites, and he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. He took him alive, but utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Saul and the people spared Agag and the beast of the sheep. Understand, listen closely. God said, kill, smite, and destroy. Yet Saul and the people spared Agag the king. They spared, they kept the very best of the sheep, the best looking oxen in the field, the finest of the fatlings, the very best of the lambs, and all that was good they kept alive set aside for themselves and would not destroy those good things that belong to the Amalekites that the direction of God was to go, smite, and destroy. Yet they only destroyed those things that they, through their own observation, rendered to be worthless and despicable. The voice of the Lord, though unheeded by Saul, was still heard by the prophet Samuel. And while Saul so quickly had... had disregarded the voice of the Lord. There was someone in his life. There was a man of God that was still in tune with what the voice of God was saying. Amen. 1 Samuel 15 and 11. Amen. God said, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me. Samuel, here's a word of insight. Here, here's a word of knowledge. He hath not performed my commandments. And So here we read in this 11th verse, Samuel becomes grieved grieved and sorrowful at the thought of this one man who has been anointed and tasked with reigning over the affairs of God's people he has become he has become so lax and he has turned back in his following of God and has not done what God has asked of him oh what a grievous thing that is ladies and gentlemen Oh, what a, what a sorrowful thing it is to think of a soul, uh, amen, uh, a soul uh, having turned back, uh, a soul having given up on the God uh, that once blessed uh, and anointed them. I feel my help right now. Uh, oh, it is a grievous thing. Can I preach to somebody in this room right now that maybe you've been wrestling with those thoughts uh, of just giving it all up, uh, turning back to this world? world and living the life that you used to live. Can I preach to you for just a moment? You have nothing to go back to. You have nothing to turn to. There is no one else. There is nobody else that will love you, that will care for you. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to a church and, and there's there's ministering and there's a pastor and a bishop uh, on this platform that every time uh, some saint of God, every time a young person uh, walks away from God, it grieves them. Every time some adult uh, fails to fulfill uh, the will and the purpose of God, God upon their life, it grieves them. It moves them to a place such as it moved Samuel. Beyond just mere grief, it moved him into a place of intercession. The Bible says that Samuel was not only grieved, but he cried unto the Lord all night long man of God couldn't sleep. The man of God couldn't couldn't be at rest. The man of God couldn't set the cares and the affairs of God's people aside and close his eyes. But he was up all night long calling for help, uttering loudly a request for God to intervene. And God directs the prophet after his grieving and after his interceding in the night. The Bible, or God rather, instructs Samuel to intervene himself. And so we read in that 12th verse, Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. Upon finding Saul at Gilgal, Saul greeted Samuel by saying, Blessed be thou of the Lord. This is Saul speaking. Saul greets the prophet. He puts on his holy appearance. Anybody, anybody, don't you just love fake people? Don't you just love those people that know how to say all the right things at the right time? And it sounds good. It, it it looks as if they've got it all together, but they're lying out their teeth. Maybe you don't have those folks in Michigan. Saul seems to put his best suit on. He gets his nicest tie. He parts his hair just right. He puts on those, those three or four squirts of cologne and he walks into the house of God on a Sunday afternoon uh, looking like the next best thing to God. Blessed be thou, he greets the prophet. Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed all the commandments of God. There may be others here that have backslid this week. There may be others that have slipped, but bless God, look at me. I've got it going on. It's getting quiet in here. Nobody knows to laugh or to cry or to pray. I feel pretty good. I'm just... I've done everything, God has asked of me, to which Samuel responds, I love this, while Saul is so confident that nobody knows his mistake, and nobody would ever imagine the little fudging he did in the midst of his obedience while he is so confident that he has slidden past, the prophet says, what meaneth this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? Hey, Saul, your suit looks good. I love that tie. And and let me know what kind of cologne that is. But there's some, that doesn't add up. I know you're telling me you've got all your eyes dotted and you've crossed every T, but there's something I hear that brings a little confusion to the scenario. If you have done everything God has asked of you, then why do I hear the buying of sheep? Why do I hear sheep in the background? Why are the cattle lowing in the background of our conversation? If anybody knew what God had said, Samuel knew. Samuel knew God had said, Go smite the the Amalekites and kill them all. Don't leave anything. And he heard the words that were coming out of Saul's mouth. But the sound of the sheep and the cattle let him know that there's something that Saul has tried to hide. There's something he has committed and he has swept under the proverbial rug. Can I preach to somebody this afternoon? We may profess that everything is well with our soul. We may look good and we may appear to have it all going on, but you be sure your sin will find you out. Because, hear me today, it does not matter how well you may think you have concealed your sin. It doesn't matter how slick and sly you think you were. It doesn't matter how successful you think you were at masking your great mistake. At some point, sheep is going to ba at some point the the cows are going to move at some point your covers going to be blown at some point when when the spirit of god starts moving something's going to get exposed Those sheep that you should have slaughtered, those sins you should have put under the blood, those iniquities that you should have dealt with, they're going to make their sound at the most inopportune time. I know I'm driving this home. But God said, kill the king, destroy the people, and slay the livestock. Therefore, the voices of the sheep and the cattle were voices that Saul should have no longer been able to hear. By letting the Amalekite king live, Saul did more than just grant him life. Saul granted him his voice. I felt so stirred in my spirit to preach to somebody in this building today. Too many times we give a voice to the very things that God has instructed us to silence. Oh, God help me. Samuel had to kill Agag, the king of Amalek. Samuel had to do it. It's at the end of the chapter, verse 33. Samuel had to go take care of the unfinished business because Saul had this something in his spirit that he could not bring himself to totally silence the opposing voices against the voice of God. I don't know who exactly it is I'm preaching to right now. And I'm okay with the silence because I know the confidence by which I bring you this message today. Man, there comes a point in our lives where we have to determine, am I truly hungry? And do I really want to hear the voice of God? Because if that is the case, if we truly want to hear his voice and his voice, voice alone, then there will not be one opposing voice that we let live. There won't be a sheep that we let live. There won't be a cow we let live. There will not be an earthly ruler that we let live because we must isolate only the voice of God. Because this really isn't even my sermon. I've got I to get there. But the man of God should have never even had to confront the enemy that God had instructed Saul to conquer. Samuel told Agag, verse 33, As thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord. This was an enemy that Samuel should have never had to confront had Saul done what he had been instructed to do of the Lord. Hit this, and I'm going to move on. But why does pastor stand in this pulpit and preach some of the things that he does? Why does pastor ask some of the questions that he sometimes asked? Why why does pastor and, and bishop sometimes feel compelled to pray for specific things and specific people? Why in the middle of the night are they awakened to deal with things in the spirit. Could it be that because God is compelling them to deal with some devils and expose some spirits that you and I have yet to deal with ourselves? Could it be that God uses the man of God God uses the prophet of God to silence the voices that we should have silenced in the first place. But this wasn't the only voice that was drowning out the voice of the Lord. Not only were the voices of the sheep and the cows Being heard, but the voice of the people was also influencing the actions of the king. It's it's in that fifteenth verse when confronted because of his error and his mistake, Saul doesn't confess and own up to his failure. Saul blames the people. Verse number 15. They have brought them from the Amalekites. They wanted to let the king live. They wanted to put a few sheep back for themselves. The people wanted to spare the best of the oxen. Saul said, I. Forget my nice suit and freshly combed hair and my nice new tie. Don't forget, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone the way which the Lord sent me, but the people took of the spoil the sheep and the oxen. All those things that should have been destroyed. Verse 24, Saul admitted, I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Ladies and gentlemen, there will always be a convenient person to blame for your personal disobedience. But Saul wasn't to be subjected to the authority of the people. Saul was to exercise authority. I know this isn't the sermon you expected to hear from the evangelist, and it certainly was not the message that I expected and planned to preach. So before you get mad at me, I'm just delivering what God gave me just a few hours ago. Don't don't shoot the messenger this morning. We'll come back next week and maybe we'll run the aisles or something and and smooth it all over. But for now, I, I need you to hear me very carefully. Saul was not to be subjected to the opinions of the people Saul was supposed to be an authority I would plead with somebody. Maybe I'm preaching to a young person right now. We cannot use the opinions or the influence of people as our means of justification. We can't get caught up in saying, well, they said and they did and somebody else suggested. Somebody else led the way. We are responsible for our own actions. We must be accountable unto God for our own failures. Saul not only blamed the people, but he went a step further and credited the people for wanting to make sacrifices unto the Lord. It was their fault. They did it, not me. But they did it so that they might sacrifice unto the Lord. The prophet had to help Saul understand they had disobeyed God. But somehow they thought that they could right their way out of a wrong. Get to my sermon in just a minute. But how foolish it is for us to think that we can twist our sins and that we can skew our our failures and somehow make them acceptable unto the Lord. Cain thought he could do the same. Cain thought he could bring of the very best of, of his farm and it would be acceptable in the sight of God. But He found out just as Saul did, we must do God's things God's way. In the doing of God's things, in the going about of God's will, in our efforts to be obedient to God's voice, we can't take our own liberty and define God's will for ourselves. We can't misinterpret his direction. We must do what God has asked of us in the way God hath designed. So that brings us to verse 22. Samuel says, I hear what you're saying, Saul. But really, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as he delights in the obedience? to his voice. saw somewhere you have allowed all these other voices to drown out the voice of God. And you've become convinced that the, the results of other voices can somehow justify your disobedience to the voice of God. Samuel said, lest I be misunderstood. Saul, hear me right now. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. The prophet wasn't belittling sacrifice, but rather he was emphasizing the fact that sacrifice is only acceptable upon the grounds of obedience. Thank God for a preacher. Thank God for more than that. Thank God for a pastor. Thank God for a man of God that will step to this pulpit week in and week out. And he is not afraid, amen, to rise up against the voices in your life that are contrary to the voice of God. You ought not despise the ministry of your pastor. You ought not despise this ain't in my notes, but somebody here, you ought not despise the preaching of the Word of God. Sometimes it'll lift you up. Sometimes it'll put a smile on your face. Sometimes it'll make you run. Sometimes it'll make you dance. But sometimes it will correct your spirit. Sometimes it will bring guidance to your walk with God. Sometimes it will put a frown on your face. Sometimes the message that the man of God brings is heavy and urgent. And in our flesh, we would love to dismiss it. But Oh, that we could truly hear The synonymous voice of God's man with the voice of God itself with all the other voices that are fighting for our attention. There is one voice heard through the voice of God's man and God himself. They are directing us down the paths of righteousness. They are correcting our wrongs. They'll still call sin, sin. They'll still call wrong, wrong. And they will declare the whole counsel of God. That's a voice you need. It's a voice you need. The prophet not only reprimanded Saul for his disobedience, but he exposed the vice in which Saul had been held. You have not only disobeyed, but you have become gripped by something. Verse number 23, the prophet says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Saul, don't you fall to the deception that there's this hierarchy of sin. And that you may make a little mistake, but oh, it's not as bad as it could have been. I, I, I didn't commit a, a, idolatry. And I, I didn't get caught up in witchcraft. The prophet says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. By the mention of those two things. Brother Alex, bring me that uh, illustration very quickly. By the mention of those two things. You can leave it on there. By the mention of those two things, it becomes clearly evident what the prophet was trying to get Saul to understand. You have been influenced by all of these voices, and there are some things that have gotten a hold of you. He not only, the man of God, not only exposed the voices, but he exposed the vice. They say a good prop does wonders to a bad sermon. And I, since I didn't have a whole lot of studying and notes, I, I brought a backup plan today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Brother Alec. He exposed the vice. I don't know how tight Brother Alex got this thing on here, but if you do it right, you're going to have a hard time getting out of the grip of a vice. It's going to take a little more than some shaking. It's going to take a little more than just an emotional reaction to get loose was a bad illustration. It's going to take more than just a Sunday afternoon feel-good service to get loose from the vice that will so easily attach to our soul. Prophet said it's rebellion that's gotten a hold of you. You go look, you go look throughout Saul's life. You you go searching. You you read some of those stories that I referred to just a few moments ago, and you'll see how in so many occasions this vice comes to the surface. Saul just decided. It doesn't matter what God said. It doesn't matter what the prophet said. I'm I'm just going to do it my way. I'm going to do it however I want to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm in charge here. I'm the one that wears the crown. He may be coming behind me, and all of Israel may be singing his praises, but bless God, I'm still in control. I'm still in charge. And so on so many occasions, we see the fruits of this vice as it holds him in its grip. He continually rebels against the the will of God. And God lifts the anointing from off of him. God removes his favor. God removes the voice of the prophet from his life. Because Saul makes the decision that he is not willing to do the one thing that is necessary to break free from the grip of the vice. I'm not going to preach much longer. But the prophet mentioned not only rebellion, but he mentioned stubbornness. Those two things named by the prophet Rebellion and stubbornness. You, you go read that, that long-storied account of Saul chasing down David continually, trying to take his life. Saul's behavior on so many occasions is so, so impulsive and erratic. One moment he's mad at the world. The next moment he has a a sincere, heartfelt expression of tenderness toward David. I've loved you like a son. Yet, Yet Saul can walk away from that tender moment of expression come back to the stubbornness of the vice. Saul on occasion would admit verbally David's anointing and David's appointing as the next king of Israel because of the grip that stubbornness had on his soul. Saul just dug his heels in and said, I refuse to change. I don't know who I'm preaching. I told you it's not an easy sermon. I don't have a target on anybody's back today. Please, I, I trust that you can, you can sense uh, the, the 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 love and, and the compassion by which I felt this message this morning. Amen. I, I don't know who it is that I'm preaching to today. And I don't know what it is that God has asked of you. And I don't know what kind of opportunity God is giving you today. But I'm telling you, it does not matter the grip you yeah of a vice that hell may have attached to your soul. Oh, that I could preach that rebellious, stubborn spirit off of somebody today and you could understand. I may not be able to shake loose from it. I may not be able to to fix it myself. There may not be anything in and of my flesh that I can do to set my soul free. The one thing that will loosen the grip is a broken heart, a contrite spirit. The only thing that can loose me from the grip of the vice is humbling myself in the presence of God. preaching to somebody in this building. I don't know who you are and I don't know what that vice's name is, but I feel like there's somebody in this building that for years you have been held under the grip of a vice. Something has ensnared you. Something has held you. And I've come to tell you, everything can change by one humble prayer of repentance on a Sunday afternoon. David had a prophet named Nathan who came to him much in the manner of Saul, Samuel coming to Saul. And the prophet Nathan exposed David's great sin of adultery. And oh, the contrast of Saul and David's reactions. Their sin, when their vice was exposed. Saul becomes angry. Saul becomes bristled. Yeah, he has a little moment there later in chapter 15. He has a little moment of false humility and he tries to beg a little forgiveness just to keep the prophet's voice in his life, but it wasn't from the depths of his soul. Saul ultimately ultimately becomes this hard, bristled, bitter man because of the vice that he never got free from. Yet David, David responds to the exposure of his vice by humbleness and repentance. David falls to his knees and with tears streaming down his face, I see David bringing himself as a puddle of tears before an almighty God. David well knew that he deserved every amount of judgment, a man that should come his way. Yet David found it within himself to humble before God. struggle is today, I don't know that vice, it might be anger it might be some resentment from years long ago